There was a 17th century mathematician and theologian, you may be familiar with him, Blaise Pascal. Pascal said that without exception, all men seek happiness. And whatever different methods they use, they all tend to that end. That it is the cause of some people going to war and others trying to avoid it, but that the will of man never takes the least step except to the object of happiness. That it is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. They're seeking happiness. I think that is true in that everyone desires life. When I, when I say that, I mean everyone desires to live in an abundance. We want to live fruitfully. We want to live to have peace of mind. We want to live with prosperity of soul. We want to be happy, and that is true of everybody. If you're here this morning and, and you're a believer and you're a Christian, that is true of you. If you're here this morning and you really don't care anything about God, it's still true of you. It's the it's something that just unites us in our humanity in this room. We all want life. We all want to be joyful. We all want happiness. You look for it every single day, no matter what you're doing. You go to work, ultimately, for what it can provide. It's not happy to sit at home and not have power and water and things like that, right? So you do what is necessary. You seek out times of recreation. You develop friendships. Everything you do at the core, there's a seeking of fulfillment. Sometimes even in serving other people. Because that helps us to find purpose. That's true of everyone in this room. What is not true necessarily of all of us is the path that we're on to try to find happiness. How we're going about it. Now what society teaches, this is one view, the society we live in, it preaches that happiness is when you get to pick your own path. When you get to decide how you live, and you can do whatever your heart imagines and whatever your heart desires, and that's how you find happiness, that no one should be able to keep you from doing the things that you want to do that will make you happy. That's the society view. Now, the Scriptures, God's Word, it presents to us a different view, preaches to us something different. It actually agrees that every person has to pick a path. The Bible agrees with that. But what the Bible says is that in reality, there are actually only two paths. There are not multiple. You're on one of two paths. Every person alive today is on one of two paths. And both of those paths have vastly different destinations. They're not all going to the happiness we seek. So if you're a note taker, 
and you have one of our worship guides, let me invite you to look at our life truth for this morning. This is how I think Solomon summarizes what we're talking about in Proverbs 1, these two paths that we can walk down. The first path is called folly, and it is ultimately about self-rule. It is about governing yourself and being your own boss. And if we're honest, that's what we all want. (laughs) In our natural inclination, we don't like people telling us what to do. I've said this before, but sometimes you can be planning to do something until someone tells you to do it, and then you don't want to do it anymore because you don't like people telling you what to do. It's self-rule. And this path of folly, in your notes, folly, according to the Bible, takes away your life. I'm going to pause there, halfway through this life truth. Folly is one of the two paths the Bible says we can walk on, and it is the path of self-rule. It is the path that our society says is the best way to find happiness, but the Bible says in the end it actually takes away your life. Look at verse 19 in Proverbs 1. Solomon says, talking about sinful actions, things we looked at last week. He says, such are the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Right before that, he said that those who sin actually set a trap for their own lives. They don't realize it, but they are setting themselves up for failure and disaster as they try to find happiness. This path of folly or of foolishness, as the Bible puts it, it promises you life. And listen, it looks really, really, really good. It looks fascinating. The idea that you could just do whatever is right in your own eyes and be your own boss, it looks good. It sounds good. It is a path that is paved by attraction. And we're drawn to it. Every one of us. But the Bible is telling us it ends in death. It promises you life. It ends in death. And there's a second path the Bible tells us. Everyone is on one of these two paths. So the first is folly. The second is wisdom. It's the path of wisdom. And wisdom is not self-rule. Wisdom is God-rule. It is when your life is governed not by yourself and your own inclinations, but where your life is governed by God. And in your notes, this life truth, wisdom, God rule, gives you life. That's what the Bible says. It gives you life. Look in verse 23. Solomon writes, on behalf of wisdom... And ultimately, because wisdom is Jesus, this is Jesus speaking to us, if you turn at my reproof or my correction, I will pour my spirit out to you and I will make my words known to you. That's life. And that's what's promised those of us who walk wisdom. Now, here's what we have to admit. It doesn't seem right to our natural self that the way you find freedom is submitting to someone else. It doesn't seem right to us that the way that we find happiness is letting someone govern us because we're so trained by our society that we should be our own boss and make our own path. 
But the creator of the universe is crying out to us that if you try to govern yourself to find happiness, you will die. But if you will submit to God who made you and loves you, you will live. Folly promises life and ends in death. Wisdom actually begins with death. The path of wisdom starts with dying. First, the death of Jesus. Your and I, our ability to walk a path of wisdom begins because Jesus, the wisest and only perfect man who ever lived, gave himself to death on a cross to suffer judgment due foolishness. He took on a fool's death so that you and I could become wise people. Next weekend, we will celebrate what happened on the third day after his death, the resurrection. And because of that, he is alive today with his Father, and he promises to make wise anyone who asks, anyone who calls out to him. Wisdom also begins with your willingness to die. Your willingness to die to the right to determine your own life. To determine your own path. To determine how you live. You give up self-rule for what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. What Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. A way of life in which you recognize God has all authority. God has all beauty. And God has all love. And I will gladly submit myself to his hands and his word. And the Bible says when you do that, when you give up self-rule for God rule, that is the pathway of wisdom. And God will give you his spirit and he will grant you new desires that you've never had before and new abilities to live in those desires. And so wisdom starts with death, but it ends in life. Life that no one can ever take from you. It takes faith to believe that. Last week, Solomon, I told you as we start going through Proverbs, we're going to get introduced to some different characters that Solomon writes about. He's using a lot of poetry, a lot of narratives to that he's using in a poem form to just kind of paint the picture for us of wisdom. Last week, he presented to us a father figure, wisdom as a father, a loving father speaking to his son. This week, we meet the other primary character that Solomon uses to present to us wisdom. It is a lady, lady wisdom. And lady wisdom, as Solomon writes in the passage that we read today, she's preaching. She's actually a, a street preacher. She's crying aloud to people that are in the streets and the markets, in the city halls. They're going about their business. She goes to where the people are. They're doing their daily activities, business transactions, receiving their education, doing recreation, living their life. And she is on the street, Solomon says, crying out to people and calling out to them to listen to her. She's warning them and correcting them, and she's offering them a pathway to life, 
Come and live, she says. Die to your right to govern your life because that pathway is leading you to death. Come and die to yourself and find life. If you've ever come across a street preacher, even as a Christian, sometimes you just go, hmm. Right? And sometimes street preachers are preaching messages in a way that we probably wouldn't preach them. Sometimes they preach in a way that even makes believers uncomfortable. But here Lady Wisdom is a street preacher. And she's calling out loudly. And the question is, is anyone listening? And more personally today, are you listening? Because she is still calling out. Wisdom, whether you view it in the form of a good father or of lady wisdom as a street preacher, she's calling out. And the question is, are we listening? Do we hear? There's always hindrances to our hearing. There's always obstacles that we face when it comes to listening well. Sometimes we just know that practically. We drift off in the middle of conversations and we realize I kind of zoned out for a moment. Some of you just realize that right now. But in general, when it comes to wisdom and hearing from God, there are hindrances that all of us face. And there's three of them that I want us to look at this morning that I think are in our text, in Proverbs. Three hindrances to hearing Lady Wisdom. Three hindrances to hearing her call. And I would ask you to look for yourself in one of these three hindrances and ask if you are dealing with what is presented in Proverbs. Hindrance number one in your notes The first hindrance to hearing Lady Wisdom, the call of wisdom, is the hatred of God. It's a really tough one. Some people cannot hear wisdom because they hate God. They hate the idea of God. They hate the idea of someone telling them what to do. Solomon, in the second half of verse 22... He asked a question, how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? He introduces us to a character type called scoffers. Now, this is worth remembering and even writing down because this will help you as you study Proverbs. But essentially what Solomon does in Proverbs is he divides all of humanity into one of three buckets. He basically, as we go throughout Proverbs, he says that all of humanity, they're in one of three buckets. They are either the wise, they are the fools, or they are the simple. The wise, the fools, or the simple. And you're going to see these over and over again as you study Proverbs. Well, scoffers are an aggressive, advanced type of fool. They fall into the foolish bucket, but they are actually hardened in their foolishness. In a way, they're worse than fools. Solomon says they delight in their scoffing. They have become hardened in their way of thinking. So, where fools love the idea of self-rule, scoffers do that, 
But scoffers go even further. They love the idea of self-rule so much that they actually hate wisdom. They hate God. They hate anyone who would tell them that they need to obey God. They hate that idea. And they mock people who follow after Jesus. They make fun of that. They call following Jesus foolishness. And Solomon goes on to say in verse 32 that ultimately it is the complacency of a fool or a scoffer that destroys them. The word complacency actually means secure. It's saying that the scoffers are so secure, they feel so right about their way of life, they don't feel threatened at all when someone preaches the gospel to them. They don't feel threatened at all when someone talks to them about wisdom. They don't feel threatened because they know they're right. And they do not see any reason to repent. I would say to us this morning that this is a warning. It's a warning for all of us. Our heart never stays where it is. It never stays neutral. Whatever condition your heart is in today, you will grow further into that condition. So if you're a wise person and your heart is softened toward God, God is working to what the Bible calls sanctify you and grow you in godliness. But if you're foolish, if you are convinced of the correctness of your opinions and your way of life, and you do not fear the Lord, the Bible is saying eventually you will grow into a scoffer. Now, I don't think anyone is beyond hope. I think Paul was a scoffer at one point, and God radically saved him. But I do think this is a warning for us, that if you know you're in the foolish camp, and you don't fear God, and you don't care about Him, and you don't care about His ways, I think this is a warning. Don't test His patience. If God is speaking to you and He is revealing to you that you're on the wrong path, repent of loving your own way of life and turn to wisdom and be saved. Hindrance number two. Hindrance number two, the second thing that we see in the text that hinders us from hearing wisdom. The first is the hatred of God. The second is the trap of indecisiveness. And you are welcome that I chose the blank to be trap and not indecisiveness, so you didn't have to figure out how to spell that. It is the trap of indecisiveness. Look at verse 22 again, the first part this time. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? So here's another character type, one of those three buckets, the wise, the fools, the simple. The simple are people who, they don't hate wisdom. They don't hate God. They don't hate the idea of wisdom. They simply love the way they are, and they don't see a reason to change. In Proverbs, the simple are often equated to young people, the youth. Although I think you could be simple at any age, but 
Definitely, if you're a young person in this room like myself, you need to listen to this. The simple ultimately are the uncommitted. That's the best word to think of when you hear simple. They're the uncommitted. They're the people who simply do not feel strongly about either way of life. They don't feel strongly about folly and foolishness, but they don't feel strongly about wisdom either, and they spend a lot of their life trying to live in both worlds. They want a foot in godliness, but they still want a foot in their own way of doing things. They can't make up their mind, so they end up trying to live both ways. When it comes to Jesus, they might be open to Jesus. They might be open to the idea of Jesus. You might could talk to them about Jesus, and they would be like, yeah. But they're not committed to Jesus. And this is also a dangerous place for us to be. If you're in this room and you could recognize yourself and you say, you know, I actually kind of think that describes how I'm living right now. Here's the dangerous thing. We're learning from Proverbs that sin is always enticing us. Sin is always going after us especially the simple. And what Lady Wisdom knows is she cries out from the street. She knows that the simple will not hold off folly for very long. Eventually, the simple will give in to foolishness. Look in verse 32 one more time. Solomon says the simple are killed by their turning away. Eventually, the simple run toward folly. They commit themselves to foolishness. And what wisdom is asking, what the street preacher is saying as people are walking by her is, how long, simple ones, will you stay uncommitted? You've heard the gospel. You've heard people preaching to you. You've heard people sharing with you about Jesus. How long are you going to stay uncommitted? What is it going to take for you to turn to God? What is it going to take for you to commit yourself to Him? That's the questions that's before any of us who find ourselves living as simple people. What's it going to take? How many more sermons? How many more Bible studies? How many more people sharing with us the gospel before we give ourselves fully to Jesus? Sin is always enticing us. And ultimately, we will give in if we don't commit ourselves to Christ. Hindrance number three. Hindrances to hearing wisdom calling to us. The third hindrance that I think we see in Proverbs 1 is the noise of life. The noise of life. I think it's very interesting in verse 21 when Solomon is painting this picture of Lady Wisdom, a street preacher, And he mentions that she's out in the streets. He says she's in the noisy streets. Noisy means confused and disorderly, tumultuous. How many of you often feel like your life is confusing and disorderly? How many of you often would describe your life as tumultuous, stressful? See, I think this is a place where even wise people struggle when it comes to hearing wisdom. I want to remind you what we talked about week one. The fear of the Lord is not a one-time thing. 
And when it comes to hearing wisdom, it is also not a one-time thing. When you are a believer, your entire life should be characterized by hearing and responding to God. As a matter of fact, the more mature that you are, the more you should hear God and the more you should respond to Him. Listening for His counsel. But if we're honest with ourselves, what happens is in the midst of fast and furious, confusing and disorderly lives, we often find it easier just to make decisions and direct our lives by our gut, our natural instincts. It's a whole lot easier to just react and act based on how you grew up, what your predominant thinking is, how you feel. That's a whole lot easier to do than to stop and think, what would God want me to do here? And if we're really, really honest, sometimes we don't want to stop and ask what God would want us to do there because we don't actually want to know the answer to that question. Because it's a lot easier to just do the thing that makes the most sense to us. It's easier to rely on our opinions than God's counsel. If you have a Bible this morning, would you go over to Hebrews for just a moment? Hebrews chapter 5 in the New Testament. Let me take the opportunity to say that if you do not have a copy of God's Word, a physical copy of God's Word, we would love to gift you with one this morning. Or if you know of someone in your life who you're trying to share the gospel with who doesn't have a copy of God's Word, please let me know that before you leave today. We'll have a copy that we would give you. But I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 5 in the New Testament. And and specifically, I want us to look at verse 13 and 14. The writer of Hebrews is, is really what he's talking to believers about here is maturity. That he's actually telling them, you, you should by now be far more mature in Christ than you are. He tells them, some of you should be teaching by now. You should be sharing with others, but instead you're still in kindergarten. You're still learning the basics of God because you're really not listening. And in the process of saying all these things in Hebrews, the author writes this. Ultimately, this is from God. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, I want you to look at that passage, and I want you to remember something we talked about week one in Proverbs. Whenever the Bible talks about wisdom, it refers to being a person who is skilled. There was actually in the Old Testament, there were times where it talked about people who had wisdom to build things. It meant they were skilled in that. Wisdom always equates to being skilled in something. And so last week we used this condensed version of our wisdom definition, and it's in your notes. We condensed our definition down to say this, that wisdom is skill in godly living. It is when you become skillful in godly living. So... Look at Hebrews 5, everyone who is unskilled. He's talking about people who are not wise. They're not skilled in knowing and applying God's Word to their life. They're not wise people. This may be the simple because they haven't committed themselves, or it may be those who are saved 
but they're simply not growing and maturing in Christ the way that they should be. So how do we go from being an unskilled person in wisdom to a skilled person? How do we mature in this? And the writer gives us the answer. He says the mature, the skilled, the wise are the people who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. So what is discernment? What does it mean to have powers of discernment? Discernment is essentially the ability to decide between good and evil. It's the ability to be able to know what is right and what is wrong according to God. There are actually some Christians who have a spiritual gift of discernment. It's mentioned in the Bible. People who are spiritually gifted with discernment will often have this powerful direct insight from the Lord into people or situations, and it enables them in a moment just to know good or evil. They really don't have any, they don't, they don't have any other knowledge of the situation or the person except God has revealed to them what's good and what's evil. But discernment is not just for those who have the spiritual gift of discernment. What we're learning here in Hebrews 5 is discernment is something that every believer is supposed to practice. You are supposed to be a discerning person. I am supposed to be a discerning person. And so it is presented here, discernment is actually presented like a muscle, something you need to train. And the more you train it, the more you use it, the stronger it is, the better equipped you are to be able to practice discernment. You become a better discerner by trying to be discerning. That's essentially what Scripture is saying to us. So how do we grow in wisdom? How do we grow in applying God's Word in any situation? How do we grow in becoming skilled in godly living? The writer says you need to train your discernment by constant practice. So go back to what we were talking about a moment ago. Life often happens fast and furious, confusing and disorderly. And in your day-to-day decisions, it is easier for you just to go with your instinct and your untrained gut reactions. But the Bible is saying you will never become skilled in wisdom if that's how you live. The way you live is by becoming a person of discernment. When it comes to your character, remember wisdom isn't just what you do, it's how you do it. When it comes to wis- to character of wisdom, it's always easier just to act the way that you want to act. But the Bible says the way you become a wise person is you train yourself to act in the manner God wants you to. To become wise people, we need to develop the habit of slowing down and thinking deeply about our life and our decisions. Wherever we can. You won't always be able to do this, but wherever you can, you need to train yourself to seek God's counsel. What does God say about this situation I'm facing? What does God say about how to relate to this person? What does God say about what I should do here? What does God say about how I should react here? What does God say about how I should treat this individual? How does God say about how I should behave, about my attitude? Constantly asking those questions of ourselves and then trying to do the thing that pleases God. 
And here's the great thing about that. The more that we do that, the more our gut instincts will actually become renewed by God's Word. And so when the decisions come where we have to react quickly, rather than react out of our natural instincts, we will begin to react out of our godly instincts because we're being trained in discernment. Now, I I can't stand up here and in a big general sense tell you what that needs to look like in your life day to day to develop habits where you start slowing down and seeking God's counsel in your life. But I will say to all of us in this room that it must include growing in knowledge of His Word and praying to Him, spending time with Him in prayer. It has to. You can't apply His Word if you don't have knowledge of it. And you're not really going to understand what you're reading unless you pray and ask God for help. Look at verse 33. This is the reward of those who practice discernment, who become wise people by training yourself to be discerning. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. That's the life that you're promised when you give yourself to death, to dying, to self-rule. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have trouble. But what it does mean is that God is going to guide you and protect you with wisdom, and you will avoid the consequences that await the scoffers. You will avoid the disaster that awaits the simple who never commit to Jesus. And you know what? There are disasters in your life you will avoid. There are trials in your life you will not have to go through if you have wisdom. And ultimately, you will dwell with Jesus forever. I want you to know this morning that all three of these hindrances are overcomable in the Lord. If you have found yourself in one of these three spots today, it is overcomable. But I want to call you this morning that you need to act in faith and you need to act right now. That's why I always say to you that if God is moving on your heart, you need to share that with someone before you leave this building. You need to to try to speak to someone and pray. Sometimes you need to get up out of your seat and you need to go and, and let someone pray for you and like prayer partners are come and just kneel at the stairs, not because these are stairs, okay? So they're not special, but sometimes you just need to do something to remind yourself, this is a defining moment for me. Because the moment you walk out of here, and not that this building is where the presence of God is, I don't mean it that way, but the moment that you walk out of a gathering where God has promised to bless it in in a very specific way with His presence, the enemy will be there to try and grab from you whatever God has said. I promise you that. Even when you try to make What's the word I'm looking for? Not a resolution, but a commitment to yourself to try and live a different way. Sometimes if you don't share that with someone else, you won't hold yourself accountable to it. You need someone else to come alongside of you and say, hey, what happened to that thing we talked about the other day? And you're like, ah, yeah, 
I remember that. Verse 24 through 31 is incredibly difficult language. It's why I say you need to act and act today if God is speaking to you. Verse 24 through 31 presents the consequence of refusing to listen to wisdom, of choosing to not fear the Lord and not heed His correction. Solomon says that eventually terror will strike you, so will distress and so will anguish. And eventually judgment will come, and when judgment comes, verse 28 and 29 says that you will cry out to God and it will be too late. It will be too late to seek Him, and it will be too late to find Him. Church, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Remember? Remember that from Revelation? He stands and knocks, but one day He will knock for the last time. One day, the knocking will stop, and there will be no opportunity further for rescue. There will be no opportunity to open the door. And we can sit here and talk all day long about whether that knocking stops when you die or before you die, but what difference does it make if one day it's going to stop? Answer right now. Why wait? Maybe the hardest verse in this section is verse 26. God will laugh at the calamity of those who refuse to listen to Him. That is a picture that is perhaps really hard for us to rationalize with our view of God. Here's what I think we can take away from this. The Bible tells us in other parts of the Old Testament that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He doesn't. This is not a laughing like a giddy kind of laughing. But what Proverbs is telling us is that God finds the ways of the fools laughable. The idea that our wisdom is greater than God's wisdom, the idea that you as a creation can find happiness apart from your Creator is a ridiculous idea, according to Proverbs. It's laughable. For the scoffers who hate wisdom and the simple who can't commit to Jesus, God makes very clear what He thinks about their stubborn refusal. But before we really question God on this, let me point you to verse 31. Because verse 31 says, at the end of everything, every person will eat the fruit of their own way. In other words, we will eventually reap whatever we have sown. Remember how I've told you before that I want us to be a church that's rooted in Christ? We've painted this picture of a tree, rooted in Jesus, growing up, branches, reaching out, and fruit, good fruit of godliness, of good works. That's what I want for us. That's the picture that we strive for as a church and community here. One day, in a metaphorical sense, we will all eat the fruit that our life has grown. One day, we will receive into ourselves the results of whatever our life has produced. C.S. Lewis put it this way, There are only two kinds of people in the end of it all. 
there will be those who say to God, Thy will be done, God. And there will be those to whom God will say in the end, Thy will be done. You wanted freedom from me. You will have it for all of eternity. So whoever's hearing this today, or whoever's hearing this in the future, wisdom's calling. It is a joyful thing that wisdom is calling out to us. Calling us to die to ourselves and live. Scoffers need to repent of their stubborn refusal and the simple need to repent of their apathetic indecisiveness. And even if we're wise, we need to practice developing habits of discernment. And it is a joyful thing for us to enter into the path of wisdom that God has for us. And it is for anyone who asks. Anybody. So this morning, I want to say to you that if you are not walking with Christ, and you know that, you're uncommitted, or you could even say, you know what, I think I'm a scoffer at times. He's placed you here in His grace that you might repent and be saved. And it is as profound as you can ever imagine, and it is as simple as calling out to Jesus, save me. And for all of us, I think we need to be praying to be people who are in love with wisdom, dying to ourselves and hearing what God has to say. We need to commit ourselves to practicing discernment, and we probably need to tell somebody that we're making that commitment and asking them to hold us accountable. So I want to invite the worship team to come back up, and I want us to enter into a time of prayer this morning. This is not just how we wrap up our gathering. This is the most important part. It's how we respond to God's Word. Responding to God's Word is certainly not just what you do in the next five or ten minutes, but it is the beginning of a response. We have some prayer partners. I want to invite them to come up. They'll be over here to my left. And they are here this morning to pray for you about anything. I'm not going to try to be the Holy Spirit this morning and tell you what you need to do in response to God's Word, but I think singing praises to Him and praying whatever He has laid on your heart and your mind is the appropriate response. If there is something about your relationship with Christ that you're struggling with or you want to talk about, please just come see me and talk to me before you leave today. Just come and, and just let me know. God was dealing with me this morning about my relationship with Him. And I need to talk about that. And I will get your information and we'll talk sometime this week. I want to commend to you that if you are walking with Jesus or you've made a commitment to Him and you've never been baptized, that is the first step in obedience to Christ. So if you've never been baptized, let me know. I would love to talk to you about what that means and how you can make a public profession of faith. And if you just need someone to hold you accountable or to pray about something going on in your life, find someone in this room or come and talk to one of our prayer partners. You can come and be prayed for anything. If it's physical healing, emotional issues, something we haven't talked about this morning, they are here to pray for you about anything you need. Sometimes we just need to hear 
someone serving as an ambassador of the Lord praying for us. Father, I ask this morning that you would help us to overcome all the hindrances there are to us hearing wisdom. God, we do not want to live a life that you find laughable. We want to live a life that pleases you, that worships you. God, a life where Jesus is living through us. He is alive right now on his throne. We believe that and we believe that by his spirit, he lives in us and through us and that we are his His hands, his feet, his ambassadors. We want to live lives that remind people of Jesus that point people to Jesus. We want to be sent as Jesus was sent in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit to do good, not harm. To see people rescued from sin and Satan by the power of Your Word. So God, give us that life as a church. Let that be the defining mark of this church, our burning light on this little hill in this community, that we make Jesus known by our way of life, and our way of life is one of wisdom. God, speak to our hearts today. I pray that you would overcome every hindrance to wisdom this morning, and that we would respond appropriately, God. Whatever we need to do this morning, by your Spirit, give us the courage to do it. God, please help us to worship and receive from you. In your name we pray. Amen.